Hi, everyone. Welcome yet to another episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I'm Ann Louise Gittleman, an award-winning author of over 37 books on health and healing, including my latest, Radical Longevity, and I'm the proud recipient of the Cancer Control Society's Humanitarian Award. I'm grateful to have you all listening to this podcast, which is growing by leaps and bounds, I understand, and I'm particularly grateful to our sponsors, UnikiHealth.com, as well as ZSHealth.com. But today, I'm very grateful to have a woman with me whose name is Tracy Herbert, who has survived and triumphs over diabetes. Welcome, Tracy Herbert, and tell us your story. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show, Leanne Louise. And I just want to let you know that I was 17 years old, and I was lying in a hospital bed in ICU with IVs, the noises I was scared out of my mouth, had no idea what was wrong with me. My doctor walks in, he puts his arms on his hips, and he says, young lady, you got juvenile diabetes. You're going to be dead in 20 years. You're going to die with horrible complications. You will go blind. You're going to have your legs <laughs> amputated. And you're going to be on dialysis because your kidneys are going to stop working. And he says, you're going to have to take shots several times a day for the rest of your life because there ain't a cure. I mean, he's saying this. Then he goes on to say, you're never going to be able to have any children. And he turned around and walked out of that hospital room. And so I, that happened when you were 17. And 17. Then, and what did that make you do? How inspirational could that have been? Well, you know, everybody always blames the doctor. Like, that's horrible bedside manners. And it was because I laid there, obviously, in utter shock. We had nobody in my entire family with diabetes. I'd never, back in the 70s, you didn't even hear about diabetes like we do today. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? What are we doing? My parents are in shock. I mean, they walked out. And I stayed in the hospital for about two weeks. And I kept going to, once I got out of the ICU and I went into a regular room, then you go into training to learn your, to give yourself shots and learn what you can and can't eat, which mostly back then it was what you can't eat. And I'm sitting there and they're all saying the same thing. You're gonna die in 20 years. You're gonna die, die with horrible complications oh. and telling me these complications, you're never gonna be able to have any children. And I'm just sitting there going, but guys, I'm 17. My life is ahead of me. Then one of my doctors told my parents, don't even waste your money sending her to college because you're not going to get any kind of return on investment because her life is basically over. How horrible. This is what I we know. call it. Not, not just, it's almost like an abusive bedside manner. So it, yes, it really was. To get well, hearing yeah. that kind of talk. It was actually the best thing that could have happened to me because, you know, I was a smart aleck teenager and I'm like, oh, no, sirree, this is not going to happen to me. And luckily, you know, my parents didn't believe that stinking thinking and they, you know, did send me off to college and everything. But about the time I got out of the, out of the hospital, I went to the local medical school library. Well, it really wasn't medical school, but it was a university and I was a senior in high school, but they let me go in because I was going into the medical section and I started researching. And, you know, most 17 year olds are, you know, going out having friends, you know, going out with having funds. And I'm that person in the medical school library section. And I'm starting reading things and thinking, you know what, Tracy, I think we're going to be able to do this. And because I was always speaking words out loud saying, I can do this, I can do this. And about a month later, I went on my very first outing with all my friends and we went to the movie theater went to see Animal House, which that was a great mm -hmm. show back in the day. And just like everybody does as teenagers, 
all my friends were ordering the popcorn, the cotton candy and everything else they had back then. And it was my turn. And I asked the concession stand clerk for a cup so I could get a cup of water out of the drinking fountain. And she said, no. And I said, no, 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 I'll be glad to pay for it. And this was way before diet soft drinks, way before bottled water. And she said, no. And I just ran out of the movie theater and I'm screaming and I'm crying and I'm thinking, why me? Why me? I'm driving all the way home. And I got into bed screaming, why me? And I had so many dreams. And at that moment, my life changed. And I said, okay, Tracy, you've got two choices. You can be better or you can be bitter. What are you going to choose? And at that moment, I said, I'm going to be better. And every day from that time on, now almost 44 years later, I'm doing everything I can to become a better person with or without diabetes, but especially learning to take control of my health. And people always say, was it easy? And I'm like, no, it's not been easy, but I've learned strategies that not just has helped me, but so many other people I've been able to help and encourage and inspire because, you know, yes, I still, well, I'm on an insulin pump now, but I was taking nine shots every day every day. And when I was pregnant with my first child, and I, here I am, first child, mm-hmm. not even allowed to have, not even supposed to be able to have children. There, go, even, there goes the doctor's beliefs that you couldn't have any children. That's right. And this was, we didn't even have the home blood testing machines back then. I mean, this is back in the day. And I had my first child and he was healthy. And I went to term with him and then had my second child a few years later, three and a half years later. And by then I had home blood testing machines and I'm thinking I can do this. I can do this. And then about the mid, my mid thirties, I really started feeling old. And I'm going to use that word old because even in my 60th year, I don't feel old like I did in my mid thirties. And I started evaluating things and I thought, okay, you know, it has been 20 years, maybe the doctors were right. And I thought, no, because they said I couldn't have children and I have children, they can't be right. So back with my researcher hat back on and I started doing all the research again. And Anne Louise, what I found was so interesting was all the breakfast things I was supposed to eat that every person with authority told me I should be eating, I realized my blood sugars were spiking out of control. And I thought, no wonder you feel so horrible. You're exhausted because you're just up and down, up and down. And I changed my breakfast. First of all, just my breakfast. So what and were I, you, what were you, so, so, so let's back up. Uh-huh. My people are going to want to know this. What were you eating and what did you change it to? Well, I was eating, uh, is it okay if I na- mention the brand name or no? Why not? Okay. I was eating just the regular Cheerios, just the regular Cheerios and a glass in my uh, milk, a low fat milk in my Cheerios. And then I was allowed to have one little piece of fruit and I could either have broccoli, could either have broccoli or asparagus in the morning. And I was even limited on how many vegetables. We're not talking starchy vegetables. We're talking about the peripherous vegetable, the really good, healthy vegetables and very little fat. And I kept thinking, so I started researching and seeing what they were doing around the world. 
especially more like Spain and Italy and France. And I started seeing that they were eating salads for breakfast and they were eating salmon and protein and things like that mm. and avocados. Mm. And so I started changing my diet. And even my endocrinologist, who is the doctor who takes care of people with diabetes, he was like, no, 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 you can't eat this kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm doing it and look at my blood sugar results. And he started scratching his head going, this isn't right. And I'm like, but I was, I mean, literally I was flatlined all morning long. Every time I would check my blood sugar, it was just within range. And I started feeling more energetic. And then in the afternoon, I was replacing my so-called healthy lunch, which was just things like a sandwich and an apple, which did let me have apple, an apple a day, which I love because I love fresh, fresh vegetables and fruit. But nobody ever talked to me about the importance of blueberries. Nobody ever talked to me about eating the colors of the rainbow, mm. not Skittles, but the rainbow. And I'm starting to say, I'm thinking, bell peppers are good for me. They're not bad for me. And I'm arguing one day in my doctor's office and he's looking at my blood test results thinking, this is amazing. And I'm like, this is what I'm eating. He's like, no more bell peppers. They're bad for you. No more mm -hmm. tomatoes. They're bad for you. No sweet potatoes, whatever. I don't mind you having a white potato. And I'm like, white potatoes are so high glycemic. Mm -hmm. and, and all that is for the listeners, it just spikes your blood sugar faster and things like that. And I'm having to argue with my own physician and he's excited about my results. And so I keep putting my research hat on and showing what was going on. And then the A1Cs, which is the hemoglobin A1C, which is a blood test for people with diabetes. And in my opinion, it should be tested for every single person in the United States and around the world, especially over your, the age. And what is your A1C now? My A1C is between 5.4 and 5.7. So that's pretty good for somebody like you. Excellent. Yes, exactly. And so I, but, but because it's not just what I did in eating, but I'm all, I also learned to exercise differently. And what I started doing was I've always loved competitive exercise. I've always been a long distance endurance runner. I love to ride bikes. I love to run long distances. And I knew that exercise lowered my blood sugar because that's the way I was trained back in the seventies. And I started looking at my, by this time I'm wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And all that is, is just a little machine that tells me my blood sugar reading every five minutes. And if I'm staying level, if I'm going up and if I'm going down and I did my first triathlon and my blood sugar was super high, really high. And I'm putting my researcher hat back on going, why my exercise should be lowering it. But I realized because we're all so different because what you know, my adrenaline kicks in, my blood sugar spikes. Now, most people with diabetes, especially those that are on insulin or the oral medication, after they exercise, their blood sugar drops. Now, mine drops, but mine drops four or five hours later. And this is where I really started, the mindset started clicking in thinking, wait a minute, we're all different. So what works for me may not work for another one of my doctor's patients. Patients. So my doctor said, you've got to write your book. He was the first person to ever tell me to write my book because he said, this is mind boggling. And I wrote my book. And when I sat down, I started working on it. I thought, okay, Tracy, why are you still alive? And why are you so successful? And I'm not talking about business or anything else, but health. 
And I thought it all came down to my 3M formula. And that's what I wrote my book about, basic, basically, my 3M formula. And if y'all don't hear anything else today, listen to this because this will change your life with or without diabetes. The first M, mind. You have to have the right mindset mm -hmm. and realize you can take control of your health or anything. You have to, you know, I started working on stress reduction. I started learning, okay, reduce your stress, sleep longer, those kind of things. Now, Tracy, you don't need to stay up and watch TV. You go to bed. It's time to go to bed. So I started training my mind. The second M, mouth. We have to learn to eat to live, not <laughs> live to eat. And once I discovered the foods that work for me, that some people believed was unhealthy, like Eating an avocado was totally taboo when I was first diagnosed. And I eat avocados like most people eat candy. You know, when I started realizing what works for me and I started thriving, I feel so much better now than I did 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then move. We have to get off our chairs and move more. And what, what works best for me may not, again, work best for you, but you got to find activities you enjoy because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do it. And so I always tell people, you know, for me, it's a contest, but park the car as far away as you can and walk to the door. If you can't get any other steps in, that's at least steps for the day. And take the stairs instead of the elevator because it's going to be transforming for your health. And little things like that. And as I'm writing my book, I'm thinking, this is what I've been doing. And every decade since my diagnosis, I've always done something big because I celebrate because I am healthier than most people my age without diabetes. I mean, it's so crazy. And so one, one year I did a triathlon for my anniversary of my diagnosis. And as my 40th anniversary of my diagnosis came about. I had become a grandmother, which I was super excited because I wasn't even supposed to have kids. How many, had, how many children do you have, by the way? Two children. And then we have six grandkids. Oh, bless your heart. Yes. So the lady who wasn't supposed to have any kids, it just, you know, I'm so showed excited. Showed them all. Yep. And my kids are healthy. My grandkids are healthy. I mean, it's just so amazing. But as my 40th anniversary of my diagnosis approached, I kept thinking, I got to do something big because so many people are still getting the same message, outdated, yes. antiquated message. Exactly. They don't listen to people like you. They don't listen to people like me saying, oh, you can do this. This is just make changes. And so I do things a little different than most grandmothers, but I got on my bicycle at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and pedaled all the way to New York City, the Brooklyn Bridge, mm -hmm. 3,527 miles to celebrate my diagnosis. And I did so many, of course, I did a lot of TV appearances and so forth, but I was able to talk to a lot of kids and a lot of hospitals with kids in it. And it was so interesting to see the parents bawling in the audience. And I'm thinking, oh, did I offend somebody? No, these kids are still hearing the same message. And I, I met a lady in Sacramento and I was just sitting there waiting for the light to turn green. And she just said, must be nice to ride your bike across the city. And I said, well, I'm actually going to New York city, but I had that gut feeling I needed to talk to her. So I got off my bike and I just went over at the bus station and talked to her for a few minutes. She was a lovely lady, probably in her early thirties. 
and she was morbidly obese. And she and I started talking and she said, I can't walk around the corner. I have to wait for my brother to pick me up. But everything I kept saying, can you do this? Can you do this? And she said, no. And I thought, you got to do something. So I said, can you walk to you into your driveway? And she said, yes, I can. And then I said, walk to you into your driveway, rest, walk back, do that several times. Then when you have enough strength, go next door, go further, further, further. This was in Sacramento. By the time I got to New York City, I got a text message from this same woman. Mm. She had signed up for her first 5K walk, which is 3.1 miles. And she said, I was feeling so much better. I didn't even realize all the weight I had lost. Mm. And those, you know, it's just people like that I met along the way. And I thought, this is why I did it. I did it to celebrate and to show people that you can do anything. But I met so many people along the way. And it's just, it's so important that when you get that diagnosis, and hopefully nobody gets a bad diagnosis, but majority of us as we age, we're going to get some kind of a diagnosis. That's when you have to stop, change your mindset. Yes, listen to the doctors, listen to all the experts, because they're going to tell you, but you got to do your own research. Mm -hmm. And until I wake up every morning and I say, another day of life, I'm so excited because I am really passionate about living my life to the fullest because I still got a lot of things to accomplish, but we all have to have that way. And when you get that bad diagnosis, accept it, grieve, just like I did, and move on and start saying, okay, what can I do today? What can I do tomorrow? Because as long as we have breath, we can do anything. So let me let me stop you here because yes. I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction. Okay. As many people know, I have written over 37 books and I prided myself on going to the root causes of every diagnosis, disease and manifesting mm -hmm. disorder known to man. Mm -hmm. So when you got that diagnosis, did you start looking for underlying root causes of diabetes? Because I have some theories for you. What did you find in your medical research? Yes. And what I think happened about six Six months prior to my diagnosis, I had the flu and I was seven, little over 17 years old. And that flu was a little different than anything I'd ever had in the past. And I think it just shot. Did you know? So they didn't have flu shots back then. Okay. So you got the, what, and this was just a regular flu, a seasonal flu. I think so, but it just felt different. I can't describe what it was, but I remember thinking I just felt really bad. And for a 17 year old kid, you don't really, you know, I was, you know, very athletic, very out doing all things with my friends, but that one, one that kicked me. And I thought maybe that was something that that's the only thing I could figure that could trigger it. Although, you know, it could have been toxins. It could have been, you know, that, you know, it could have been hereditary, but nobody in my family had ever had diabetes. And so I don't think it was hereditary. I think it was the flu. It attacked my pancreas. Mm. I, I, I know that I've heard that there's usually a viral connection. And mm -hmm. There's also a parasitic connection. So yes. did, you, did you grow up on a farm or anything of that nature? I did not. That's why I did not. I ruled, I grew up in the city and that's why I ruled that out. I did travel to Europe about a year before I was diagnosed and spent a summer with a bunch of people, but we didn't go to any place other than we didn't go into any kind of a second or third world nation. I mean, it was in that, that wouldn't matter. So, you know what I'd love you to do because this would be so helpful to me. Yes. Yes. In 1974, I studied with a woman who is a, an alternative practitioner, uh, people from all over the world, including the queen would consult with her. Mm. And one of the things I remember hearing about, and this was February of 1974 was the type one diabetes. She always connected to a particular kind of parasitic worm. 
I would love it if we could get a complete diagnosis for you or complete analysis with a stool test with one of the labs that actually knows what they're looking at. I'd just so be curious to rule that out. Oh, interesting. I would be too. I, yes, I would love that. And as I recall, and this of course was many, many moons ago, and I was young and uh, kind of green behind the ears. I remember her talking about tapeworms as being an issue and you can pick that up anywhere. It doesn't have right. to be a third world or second world country. It can be in New York City, it can be in Houston, Texas, it can be in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So I'd love us to be able to do that because there's always something whenever mm -hmm. any kind of problem, any kind of autoimmune issue, any kind of disease manifestation, we've got to find underlying causes. This might help many, many other children. Oh, I love that idea. No, that's great because again, I have nothing else wrong with me. And typically, not always, but typically with type ones being an autoimmune disease, you develop more and more autoimmune issues. And you have not. And I have not, but I also am very critical of what I put in my body. I'm on supplements and so forth, vitamins that are the highest quality they make. I mean, I, I invest in my health every day because I know I need it. So when you've taken blood tests, is there any uh -huh. value that looks a little above, of course, the optimum ranges are not optimum on the lab test, but anything that ever stood out higher eosinophils or monocytes or white blood counts? No, I actually, about five years ago, I did work with a alternative practitioner who ran all the tests and did not find anything unusual, except just my, you know, pancreas didn't produce much insulin, obviously. But other than that, it was all within, not just in within clinical range, but it was in the healthy range. So did you do a poop test? No, we did not. No, we did not. That's why I write, I'm writing myself a note about that because we did not do that. It'd be very, very helpful. Very, very insightful. And parasites all often affect the pancreas, by the way. Yes. They'd like and to also, go to the bile ducts and the pancreas. And also dental work. Very much so. And did you have a lot of dental work? I only had two cavities and that was 16 years old. And I had mercury in both of my fillings. And that and one of my teeth is lined up with my pancreas. So you had a number of issues, a number of environmental assaults. That's it's, it's it goes back to which one or could it be all of it? I mean, it could have been a combination of everything. And it usually is, and your system became a little weaker because of this particular kind of flu. And then you had the mercury, which affects blood sugar dramatically. Yep. Have, have you tried to get rid of your mercury? Yes, yes, yes. And what do you do for that? Well, go to a specialist, a specialist dentist that, re, that, um, that specializes in removing mercury. And what have you done to remove it from your bloodstream? I was on some supplement, but I can't remember what the name of it was, but I was going to go back and ask them to take a blood test on my mercury or uh, I think it's, I can't remember what test they did for my mercury, but I was very high in mercury, even after having my mercury fillings removed. See, I'm a mercury holder as well. I did a blood test, which is not actually a blood test. It's an intracellular test and you can get Correct. it done in Texas, the great state of Texas. I know in San Antonio, I'll give that to you off, offline, but there's a test called the oligo scan that actually can measure intracellular minerals and vitamins and heavy metals and so forth. And that would be the most accurate. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. If you're, not, if you're not an excreter, you're, we're not going to see anything. I just want to get to the underlying cause and then you can really make a difference with people. You're giving them hope with your 3M formula. And I love the books and I love that 
bicycle trip that you took across the country and you ended up on Dr. Oz. So let's move back to, to that bicycle trip. Uh-huh. So I was in Chicago meeting with a group of, of endocrinologists, again, doctors who specialize working with people with diabetes. There was a large group of us and they wanted to take me out to lunch to talk about my ride, but also talk about my strategies because again, this is unusual for somebody that's had diabetes as long as I have and be so healthy. And we were talking and I got out, I left the meeting with all these people at lunch and had a message from Dr. Oz and they were wanting me to finish on the show. So I was very fortunate to finish on the show. And then he wanted to get me back on behind the cameras and do some promotional work and talk about my 3M formula, talk about my coaching and things like that, because Again, you learn when you look when you look and you see. I don't do pizza, and I haven't done pizza except on rare occasions for forty, almost forty-four years now, because it affects my blood sugar and it also causes inflammation plus other horrible things. I'm not even going to get into. But when I was seventeen and all my friends were eating pizza, I visualized in my mind rats, mites, whatever you want to figure, running across that pizza. And I was sitting there thinking, how are y'all eating this pizza? And so I use visualization skills like no other because I can talk myself out of eating anything by looking at it and seeing broken up glass or broken up thumbtack, you know, thumbtack, something oh, like that. Oh, and rats. so, yes, rats, <laughs> I mean, you know, so he was real interested because he said, let's get behind the scenes and let's do, let's do some more. Cause the short, you know, it was only six minutes on the show. And then we went backstage and did a behind the scenes where we could get a little bit more into the coaching and how I've managed to live with it from a psychological standpoint. Since my background psychology, it's how do you handle all this, especially as a kid, you know, and that's, it's been interesting, but it was a great, it was a great adventure. I I'm looking forward to doing something else again. I was going to do a ride in 2020 and then the pandemic hit and I decided to push that off a few years. So I'm gonna do something else. I don't know what, I was gonna do the Appalachian Trail, but I have to keep my insulin cold because without insulin, I die. So that's probably off the table. So I may just end up doing another bike ride, but or walking across the country or running, I don't know, but just to help people to say, you know, whatever you're going through, especially my heart is really towards people with prediabetes because they get that message from their doctor. There's, you know, We've got a lot of people in this country that have prediabetes. One in three have it and don't even know it. How would you I mean, diagnose that? It's a blood test. It's it's all a blood test. If what are the factors we're looking at? So if if, if your physician does an A1C, and every physician after you reach 50 should do an A1C. I just think that should be part of an annual exam, but a lot of them don't do it. But it should be 5.7 to 6.4. Or if you do a fasting blood sugar, it'd be 100 to 125. But I do believe those numbers are going to be coming down because that's still too high. But people with prediabetes, oftentimes a client I'm going to mention just briefly that I worked with a few years ago, he was told by his physician he had prediabetes and given the number one diabetes medication, oral pill, and said, go home and start taking this. And he remembered hearing me speak or saw me on TV or whatever. And he reached out to me and he said, let's work together. And I said, okay, you have to follow these, you know, anyway, so I was telling him to always check with your doctor because I want the doctor to participate. And I said, the first thing you need to do, and this is for anybody with prediabetes or type two or pre or type one, but I want you to get one of those inexpensive home blood testing machines 
And I want you to check your blood sugars seven to 10 times a day for just a few months. Then you don't have to do it again. And he asked his doctor and the doctor said, no, 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 don't do that. That's just a waste of money. And then three months later, when he went back and his A1C was back way within normal after there were three months we worked together, the doctor said, what did you do? So he was telling her some of the things that he and I had worked on together and some of the strategies that he had changed. And then he said, I went ahead and bought the home blood testing machine. And every day I would see how food impacted my blood sugars. And he said that was the number one transformation that he's done. So now his physician is also having all of his patients with type one or with prediabetes start doing home blood testing machine uh, mess messages for three months, uh, blood testing, blood testing everything, you know, for three months just to see the impact. And it's crazy how you can figure out just by watching your numbers, especially when you see how things affect you when you eat. I mean, that's crazy. Exercise, he's now into exercising. And he was talking about how his blood sugars would get higher, but then they'd come down. I mean, so it's all things that we know logically, but we once you see it in blood or in document, you know, you see those numbers and you realize that is truly a number. And so many people with prediabetes, they put the, you know, the blanket over their head and they say, oh, it's going to go away. It's going to go away. And about 15 to 30% of people with Pre-diabetes turns into type two diabetes within five years. And That's there's amazing. so many, I know, and it's so sad because once you get on that medication, it's really hard to get off. I mean, it's not impossible. I have had quite a few people get off, but they have to work a lot harder. So my thought is, you know, start taking control of your health right now. Don't wait. And then if you do get that diagnosis, start taking control right then and see what you can do. Just little simple things can be transformation. And he was like, I was eating that he was eating so many bad things, thinking it was healthy. Cause you know, you see, you go to the, you know, you go to the grocery store and you buy a box of food and it says, oh, it's healthy. It's a special diet or whatever. And then you read the ingredients and even you as a, awesome as you are, couldn't even pronounce the words, you know, and it's like, get away from that, eat whole foods, you know, go to the produce section, walk the perimeter of the grocery store. That's where the healthy foods are. So just things like that, people, you know, it's not that, it's not that difficult, but people want to make it difficult. But what would you tell somebody, is there any difference in the recommendations for somebody with type one versus type two and free diabetes? In my opinion, no, not at all. Now, I'm not a doctor. That's that's the doctor call. But no, to me, I eat, I mean, I do things very differently. I And my doctor kind of rolls the eyes and say, do what you want. You've been doing this for a long time. I believe in fasting. I don't even just do intermittent fasting. I do 24-hour fasts every two weeks. I do one every two weeks. And I know that if my blood sugar drops too low, then I just go ahead and start eating again. But so many people with type two diabetes and prediabetes, they can get rid of their diabetes. They can go into remission just by doing fasting, just by watching food that they eat. And so I, I don't believe there's any difference between type one, type two, or prediabetes, except for prediabetes, you still have hope. You can still take control of your health. Type two diabetes, you can reverse. Type one diabetes, unfortunately, unless we find, you know, maybe I did have a parasite or the, get the mercury out, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's nothing I can do except take my insulin, keep my blood sugars under control, remain healthy, but until there's a cure or until we find out this little problem that I might be having, 
but it doesn't matter. It's all goes back to the same thing. Even if you have cancer, even if you have diabetes, even if you have heart disease, even if you have Alzheimer's, anything, it all goes back to learning to eat the right kind of foods, learning to move and learning to have the right mindset to say, okay, what do we need to do? Yeah, it's going to be challenging, but what can we do right now to make a change that could help me 20 years from now? I don't look at tomorrow. I look at 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. What can I be doing? Because I want to be that person at 100 years old saying, mm -hmm. hey, I've had diabetes for now 65 years. Mm, and I've, I've, I've outlived all my doctors. Yes, I have too. That's what's funny. The doctor that told me I'd be dead in 20 years, he died within 20 years of my diagnosis. Mm. So what are you eating now? If I were to give you a typical diet history tell me the things that you choose for breakfast lunch and dinner and snacks do you eat every three to four hours or you're you're not because of insulin spikes what what is the latest that you've that that that, that you do is there a philosophy that you've embraced are you ketogenic are you paleo it's it's so funny that you mentioned that because i have tried everything because I do feel like I'm a guinea pig, because if I can figure out what works for me, I might be able to help somebody else. Yes. And what I do, I, I used to buy into the philosophy that you got to eat three to four to five, you know, meals and snacks and all that throughout the day, because that would be best for my blood sugar. But now I'm beginning to realize that I don't need that much food. And I do wear a continuous glucose monitor. So I do know what my blood sugar levels are all the time. But I eat mostly, not always, but I don't eat much processed food at all because processed food just screams inflammation, inflammation, you know, causes, you know, insulin resistance for people without diabetes, and it causes me all sorts of problems. And so what I do is I eat a lot of fresh vegetables. I try to stay away from the starchy kind of vegetables a lot. I don't eat them. I don't eat them all the time. But like last night, I had a sweet potato. Mm. It was great. I mean, because sweet potatoes are good for you. But you had it with protein and fat. I, exactly. You got to have it. If you don't have it with protein or fat, then it's gonna, your blood sugars are going to go out the roof, you know. But that's why I was so upset because my physician used to vilify fat. And I'm like, no, I need fat because the fat and the protein is going to help my blood sugars stay as close to normal range as possible. So I eat a lot of plant-based. I eat, I do eat protein. I eat, I just eat things that, you know, that our grandparents ate. I eat a lot of things that are grown in the, you know, we go to the farmer's market once a week. I, I never eat any meat that is not free range. I don't do antibiotics because I know what antibiotics can do to the body. And so I stay away from foods that are, you know, chickens and cows and things that are being raised in farms that are just being plopped with antibiotics and so forth. But I, I really care for what I eat. Like I say, I fast every two weeks for 24 hours. And I actually, my body looks forward to a fast. Now, I don't recommend it for anybody with diabetes especially if you're on medication, but you might talk to your doctor and, you know, see if that would be something to work it out. But I eat a lot of berries. I, like I said, I like the, you know, the, the rainbow. I eat a lot of the foods of the rainbow, not Skittles, but I love the bell peppers. I love the cucumbers. I broccoli. We eat broccoli probably two or three times a day. We have a protein shake in the morning that we make, and it's got a lot of greens in it. You know, the berries, I do cranberries. I do a lot of beets in my shakes and so forth. And I just do things that I have in my refrigerator. We're big salad people. And it's just 
things like that. It's, it's, there's no right or wrong answer for me because my body just is fine with certain things. But when I start eating the breads, now I don't have a gluten, in, I'm not gluten insensitive, I don't have celiac, but when I do eat gluten, I do notice the dark circles are becoming stronger under my eyes. So that tells me stay away from the breads and the glutens and so forth. So what does your blood sugar run now? I, I run anywhere. Um, I can tell you right now what my blood mm. sugar is. My <laughs> blood sugar right now is 101. But I, I run anywhere between 90 is about average for me to about 120, sometimes 130, depending on what I just ate or if I'm going for a long bicycle ride. So if I'm going for a long bicycle ride, for example, when I rode my bicycle across the country, especially in the mountains, I would let my blood sugar be about 160 before I would start riding. And then I would throw in some nuts and some berries and such, and I would eat that along the way. But I try to keep my blood sugar no lower than 90 and no higher than 140. That's about right. Mm -hmm. Now we haven't discussed supplements. So to round out, and as we're coming to an end, I know that you have limited time. Tell me about the supplements. Do you take berberine? Do you take chromium? Do you take extra zinc? What is your regimen? Yes, yes, yes to those. And then I also do um, Longevinex every day, uh, resveratrol. I mean, I should, I guess I shouldn't be giving you names. No, no, no. Of... I've read about Longevinex and radical longevity. It's the best resveratrol supplement on the yes. market. Yes, and I do, uh, yeah, I do those. I do vitamin C. I'm a strong believer in vitamin C. Magnesium, probably 90 to 95% of people with diabetes are low in magnesium also. And that's what I tell people if, if they tell me just friends or anybody, if they've been recently diagnosed with prediabetes, get their magnesium levels checked. Also, the doctors always check the chromium levels, but they don't always check the magnesium. So I take a very good, a high quality multivitamin, I take cod liver oil, I take I'm going through my list, uh, take curcumin, which is um, the strongest form there is of anti-inflammatory that I have found so far. I take, uh, let's see, what else? I'm sorry, I should have had all this written down. I can tell you, it's, there's, I take probably 25 to 30 supplements every throughout the day. And our kids laugh at us because our kids are like, y'all are getting younger instead <laughs> of older, but it's because of what we're doing. I mean, we believe in the practice of sleeping well. We believe in having a good social support. I mean, everything that the people that do around the world that live the longest, you know, we do all those same things. We, I firm believer in water. You've got to drink filtered water. We filter our water. We drink green tea, two cups of green tea every day. We do drink coffee but it's the kind that doesn't have the microtoxins. I mean, we, we, we're very careful what we put into our bodies. Yes, yes, yes. That's why I've written about pure mm -hmm. coffee and radical yes. longevity. Yes, yes. Toxin-free, high in, high in all the most important antioxidants known to man, especially the fat-burning antioxidants and so forth and the polyphenols. Yeah. So what yeah. would you tell somebody that was just diagnosed? First of all, don't lose hope but figure out what works best for you. And there's a lot of people throughout the internet that'll tell you that you can take a pill, you can do a certain thing and you'll get rid of your diabetes. Take that with a grain of salt, but you go buy a home blood testing machine. Even if your physician says don't or your medical team, do it anyway. Just take it for three months just to see what your body responds. My body, my body blood sugar spikes when I have a cup of coffee 
black coffee, my blood sugar spikes. I met somebody recently who heard one of my podcasts and he ran into me at the, at the grocery store. He said, he's, he's, anyway, he was telling me, he said, I checked my blood sugar and I don't even have diabetes and my blood sugar spiked after caffeine. Not yes. everybody's does, but get a home blood testing machine, check your numbers, learn to eat to live, don't live to eat, stay away from processed foods as much as possible and get up and start moving because we are not created to sit down all the time. I go outside every day. I'm a firm believer in vitamin D. That's another supplement we take almost year round, except I live in Texas and I spend a lot of time outside riding my bike and running. So this time of year, I don't need it as much, but vitamin D is critical. Vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D, have your levels checked, get outside, take your shoes off every once in a while and go walk in the grass. If you live by a beach, go walk in the, on the sand in the ocean, because I, or I tell you, the grounding is good for me. It helps me get my mind, my body back in line with earth and the way it should be. Mm. And all those wonderful electrons that tamp down inflammation. Yes. Something like Mother Earth. So oh, I know. So your mission, if you care to accept this, Tracy Herbert, <laughs> is we have to find the underlying cause to type 1 diabetes. Yes. And I'm also thinking of that mercury connection because I remember a client of mine who came down with an enormously high blood sugar out of the blue. And I said to her, Joni, what have you done recently? She says, not, not anything. And then she called me that night and said, you know, I, I have done something kind of different and that is I had all my mercury fillings replaced and it was shortly thereafter that her blood sugar spiked like 800 out of the blue oh wow so there's a mercury connection or there's a parasite connection or there's a viral connection so we've got to find it don't we yes we do and that if we could save one child's life can you imagine what the world would be a better place? Because, and again, type one is typically in children, but I met a lady recently, 65 years old, that was just diagnosed with type one diabetes. I mean, it's crazy. And the epidemic rise of diabetes, it's going to get somebody that you love if you don't take control of your health now. And that's what we all have to do. So I want to thank you so much for being my guest today on First Lady of Nutrition Podcast. I hope you come back again with some answers to the cure, the cure to type 1 diabetes. Maybe we can go to type 2 and even pre-diabetes. I'd love it. That'd be great. That's what we have to do. We've got to change the world, help the helpless, give hope to the hopeless, and cure the incurables. That's my mission. So I want to thank I want to thank all of you, especially Tracy, for listening in to yet another episode of First Lady of Nutrition. To all my listeners, to all my viewers, to all my fans, friends, and family, have a wonderful rest of your week. Shalom uvracha, peace, and may you be blessed. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.